Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Dearborn Denim founder Rob McMillan is a thoughtful guy with some grand ambitions. Namely, he's working on building a big apparel company that ethically manufactures premium products at an affordable price right in Chicago. So let's recap that for a second. The objective here is to build a large apparel company that's manufacturing domestically, doing that in an ethical fashion, and making premium products, not cheap products, but at an affordable price. Think that sounds impossible? Well, Rob McMillan doesn't, and in fact, he has a plan. So this Monday, I met up with Rob at the Dearborn Denim Factory in Chicago to tour the factory with him and then record this conversation where Rob lays out the blueprint. And if there's a takeaway from this conversation, it's that some companies are easy to root for and support, and Dearborn Denim is definitely one of them. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies and some of the very best companies across a range of craft categories that support the independent work that we do here at Blister. You can learn more about the Blister Craft Collective on our website, and we'll include a link to the Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. Check out these companies because I am confident that some of these companies are going to become some of your favorite companies too. And now, let's talk about ethical manufacturing right here in the United States with Dearborn Denim founder, Rob McMillan. Here we go. Well, I'm very happy to be sitting here with Rob today. Rob, let's start by having you answer the question, what is Dearborn Denim and why did you start it? Sure, Jonathan. So Dearborn Denim is a direct-to-consumer apparel manufacturer. That means that we design, cut, sew, wash, finish, and then ship our products, primarily jeans, from the sewing floor in Chicago directly to our customers online. Uh, We also have retail locations, but we're an apparel manufacturer. So we make jeans for our customers and we sell those jeans. (laughs) (laughs) We make make jeans and sell those jeans. That's that's what it is at heart. Uh, We started in 2016 is when I signed the lease on our first space. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a bunch of used sewing machines. I did not come from an apparel manufacturing background. I was in finance. And why I started Dearborn Denim was I wanted to be building a company that was more or less just creating jobs in Chicago. I feel like that's something that needed to be done. I, again, I, I was working in finance and working a lot of hours trying to make money, but didn't feel like I was contributing in any meaningful way to benefiting society in mm-hmm. a, you know, any sort of way. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what I set out to do. Looked at a couple of different business models. You know, I, I think I looked at some software companies, brewing beer, and I settled on apparel manufacturing all those years ago because it was something that not, not a lot of people were doing mm-hmm. and seemed to be on the decline. And it, I guess, looked like a bad industry to go into. Uh, <laughs> but got out the pen and paper, started looking into, okay, well, what, what is it going to take to start making apparel, yeah. right? Eventually settled on jeans, Dearborn denim, right? Uh, but I thought with the direct-to-consumer model, that was totally possible and that we could deliver customers an excellent product made in the USA at an affordable price. And that wasn't in the market. So I think having those differentiators and from the existing, you know, supply of genes uh, would give us at least some number of customers that would want to buy our product, mm-hmm. right? Because you can always, you can start whatever business you want, but you want it to succeed. So <laughs> seems like the point. It does <laughs> seem like, like the point. Yeah. And so I think I thought, I thought it had a, a good chance of succeeding. and. Uh, I thought it was needed and so set out to do it. And originally it wasn't Dearborn Denim, it was Four Star Denim. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I wondered if we were going to get to this part of it. Yes. So. Yeah. This is, this is always funny because I, so I, uh, I started Four Star Denim and immediately all my friends were asking, well, why, why isn't it Five Star Denim? Uh-huh. You know, exactly. like, why do you want these mediocre jeans, right? right. Like bad reviews. <laughs> Uh, and, and you the, said to them, have you never seen the Chicago yes, flag? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a shout out to the Chicago flag, but you can't just explain that to everybody. It's, it was very generic. And also there are these problems of, well, okay, well, is it the number four? Or do you spell it out for the website? Yeah. These things. And we didn't have any customers at the time. So <laughs> I, I changed the name to Dearborn Denim where Dearborn has, has also has some connection with Chicago. So mm-hmm. it was a shout out to the local market because I figured that the local market would be most interested when we were getting started yeah. and uh, nice cadence, good alliteration. Yeah. So Dearborn Denim. Sounds great. Dearborn Denim. I do love the Chicago flag though. So I'm not mad at all about the original name. I do probably agree with you that the pivot was a good one because yeah, yeah B Grade B jeans, four stars. Yeah. So, but. yeah. I, I, I thought it was the right decision as soon as I saw a truck roll by that was four star laundry with the Chicago flag. <laughs> You're <laughs> still like the same thing. And I thought, okay, that was, that was not my most inspired idea. Okay. So, finance guy. Yes. You know, let's, let's, let's just throw some awful stereotypes Specifically here. Specifically bond trading. So, oh, my God. It yeah. got worse. That was fine. It's good. I mean, I had a great time while I was doing it. I did for eight years. Okay. Uh, it's a fine, fine industry, but a, it wasn't for me. Okay. Wow. That's very diplomatic of you. Okay. Yeah. So, I guess I'm curious to hear you talk a bit about, you know, percentages here. You said very well the kind of mission part of it. Hey, let's actually create some jobs in Chicago, do some things that make a significant difference to people's lives. That's lovely. But how much of this was for you in those early days of thinking about the company? How much was it like, I really want to have a meaningful company that is impacting people's lives versus the, I see a real business opportunity here and I think we can be profitable and it's going to be a good thing. Like, Give me the breakdown of the mission versus the potential profitability. 
I think it's I think it's a marriage of both, right? So like I definitely call it 50-50. I don't yeah. think you want to start a well, that's a that's like a nonprofit uh like charity organization, yeah. which this is not. This, this is, is a not. we are this we are trying to make a business, make a make a profit, and uh but in doing so be of benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's and that's so I don't think you can separate the one from the other. Mm-hmm. Uh in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about your background before you were trading bonds. What was life like for you? Uh, I mean, before that, I, I started doing that straight out of college. I went to college in Gambier, Ohio, and uh, I came back to Chicago and just started started slinging contracts. <laughs> <laughs> so there, you know, uh, I was I was interested in philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, like yourself, yeah, and. I was thinking about uh, for for a while. I was thinking about going into academia. Uh, decided against that as well, and that's that's Rob before jeans, I guess. And before that's even that's before you know going into going into bond trading. As well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that was what have been a while ago. You settle on jeans. You said you do not have a background in apparel design. How then do you make the next steps? Because you have to figure out things like materials and sizing and all of that stuff. Right. So yeah, I think. So, yeah, absolutely. And I so I I didn't have a background. Now I have now uh, I have a lot of background. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I in in the process was learning uh through all means available. So I went to the library, rented some books, visited some factories, watched YouTube videos. And covered all of the different angles from design, technical design, manufacturing, what machines do you need to have? How do you repair those machines? Took out my wife's old sewing machine and started sewing up jeans saying, okay, well, what are all the steps that go into it? And just learning it, you know, step by step. Uh, Business side of it as well. uh, What, you know, how to sell online, running a website. All of those uh, different areas of knowledge just I had to learn them. So, yeah. you know, trade by day, learn how to make jeans yeah. by night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the age old story. Yeah. Yeah. So, trade by and, day, make jeans by night. <laughs> right. And I did that. I, I, I had to do that for about a year and a half. So I think I, I think I settled on jeans right around 2014. And maybe the kicker was when my, when my first son was born. And it was like, uh, George, I have, I have three boys now, huh. and it was like, okay, well, I gotta either do this <laughs> or not, right? And <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, yeah. So I, I took about a year and a half to learn how to do everything, and I definitely started without knowing how to do everything, and made some good hires uh, getting started. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, a great seamstress when we first started, and went from there. Actually, no, the, my first hire was still my worst hire. <laughs> first is still your first worst. Wait, was, let's talk about first, that. First hire was the worst hire. Uh, just uh, the gal didn't show up on time ever. Left early. Couldn't actually do the things that were the were the parts that I needed. Yeah. Uh, to fill in my own um, knowledge gaps, I would say. And uh, yeah, that lasted about two weeks. And then, and then I had a great hire. And then you just started five star hires. Uh, no, 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 no. But 
but you know, a couple uh, four star hires. In yeah, there. exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, and and then but just you know, progressively building from there, mm. from just starting in a empty warehouse and then setting everything up and trying to just make one gene. Our first gene took nine hours to make. Now you know that's not economically viable, but we got it down to uh, you know below an hour pretty quick, and now we we still run it about. 25 minutes for the so times. So, gotcha. And uh, I think we should really, at the end of the day, we are aiming to try and get it to an internationally, you know, standard time of it's about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. 15 when minutes. When you say internationally standard, that is a bit of the industry standard. Right. So if you were to be, we don't sell a million genes a year here, right? Uh, but if we were, we would have to be doing it at 13 to 15 minutes. Gotcha. Okay. And that's, and with that kind of volume, that, that is what you're supposed to be able to put together a pair of jeans at for a production facility. Hmm. But we do a lot of different styles and we do, we do a lot of, and we're still a small business. So uh, I think where we are right now is pretty good, but we are always trying to improve on our production times, but, you know, quality first. Mm-hmm. So. Why Chicago? There are other hubs in the U.S. We're going to talk about domestic manufacturing and not just domestic, but specifically domestic United States of America manufacturing. And, you know, there are a couple hubs, I would say, that some people probably would identify if you think of manufacturing, apparel manufacturing, clothes manufacturing in the United States. Did you ever give any thought? Of like, yeah, I want to create jobs. I want to match manufacture in the U.S., but I'm open to some other cities in the country. I think there are other cities that have similar opportunities, but I think Chicago is probably top three best situated for apparel manufacturing. And here are the reasons that I came to in an unbiased way being from Chicago, right? So this <laughs> okay. is... This is just absolutely without bias, scientifically proven uh, why Chicago is the best or is, I think, one of the best places to do apparel manufacturing. So the first problem that you run into with apparel manufacturing is depth of labor pool. So the history of apparel manufacturing, well, let's, let's just like take it back to yeah. 1900 real fast. Yeah. Chicago's pumping out about 25% of apparel consumed in the United States. Huh. By 1950, that had all moved south, chasing lower wages, right? So apparel manufacturing in general always chases lowest wages. So it went from, uh, you know, the north of the United States to the south of the United States. NAFTA gets signed, blows everything apart in the 90s. Uh, goes to Mexico. Mexico is too expensive. Goes to China. China is too expensive. Goes to Bangladesh. Right. Next frontier for like lowest wages. A lot of places in Africa. Yeah. That's that's kind of the transition. So now there's less than two percent of apparel consumed in the United States is made in the United States. There aren't a lot of people that do it here that have been doing it. Okay. Well, Chicago is one of those places. Chicago has a lot of people. Right. If you set up, let's say, in the middle of Kentucky, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to get a lower, a lower base wage. You're not going to have anybody around to sell. 
Simple as that. It's going to be very hard to hire quality employees in the numbers that you need them quickly with that knowledge base already there. So yes, you might be saving here or there, but it doesn't, it didn't seem viable to me. The other, the other question is infrastructure, right? So like we were going to be delivering directly to customers online, Chicago smack dab in the middle, right? So why Chicago became a big city in the past because of the railroads, right? The other, I guess the other option would have been uh, St. Louis, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of like central location, there are a couple of cities that have central location, but again, you know, Chicago is the, it's kind of the biggest of the Midwest. And so again, like you have uh, a lot of opportunities to hire different people from different backgrounds. And then there are a lot of sewers in Chicago still. Uh, from, there are a lot of, of sewing operators. Sewing operators. Yep. Whether it's, uh, you know, some mattress manufacturing, there's some rugs. There's also some other cut and sew for apparel. So there's, there's, there, there are quite a few people that are knowledgeable in the Chicagoland area. So the central location, depth of labor pool, and growth for hiring is that's that's why i said uh, okay chicago seems like a pretty good place Hmm. so you you weren't really tempted like it wasn't this wasn't part of the mission where it's like well i guess we will do this good deed by manufacturing here in chicago even though there's 10 other places in the united states where it would make way more sense to be doing this you did not see it that way no no, no. I thought I actually thought Chicago was probably best situated in terms of reviving. It's not, you know, we're not necessarily reviving. We're too small still to be like, hey, we're reviving U.S. apparel manufacturing, right? We're we're a we're a small dot of the of the total production uh, consumed in the United States. But I think it's, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was, and I still believe it is probably one of the best locations. I think there are some other places you can do it. There are some places you definitely can't do it. Like you can't do it in San Francisco. You can't do it in Austin, Texas. You can't do it in New York. It's too expensive. Mm -hmm. You know? And then I don't think a rural model is viable. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I just don't think it's viable. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the most common misconceptions about the apparel manufacturing industry in the u.s misconceptions hmm i think there are i think there are a lot of them so the first misconception i think there is is that it is impossible to do right so yeah it's like oh it's you know it's you can't do it in the united states it's too expensive Mm -hmm. well that's true if you are going with mass production like economies of scale for some of the larger, you know, lower priced retailers, right? I will not be able to beat an imported gene from Bangladesh on price. It's just very low, mm-hmm. right? So you have to be able to overcome the import cost. It's all the costs associated basically with distribution of a global supply chain that you that you're going to overcome because the labor cost is less than a dollar, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so you can't do it that way. But there are products where, right, 
the, the labor cost of the cut and sew is not the only factor going in. And so there is a, basically a price th- threshold where it is possible and it is possible to compete with other retailers, right? So we're not the cheapest gene out there. We sell a premium stretched denim gene. The fabric's expensive. That is already now away from a like, you know, millions of units uh, production model. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one misconception. So, and, and that takes a little bit more explanation of how is it possible to even the playing field between a global supply chain and a domestic supply chain to get quality goods to customers at an effective price uh, and for a for a domestic supply chain, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we do. Uh, so that's the first one is it's impossible to manufacture in the USA. I think that's wrong. Uh, I think there is also, and this might sound strange, but like, it's always better if it's made in the USA. I love that you're saying Maybe this. Maybe not. I love that you're saying this. Well, but like, that's, I think that's, that's important. It's like, uh, you know, the good old quality made in the USA. Well, I think the quality of the product is based on who's making it and, you know, from the people that are making it, yeah. are they actually doing the QC that you expect them to do and is, and who's running the business and what the values of that business are to putting out quality products uh, and how they're doing it. That's what makes a quality product. It's not like it's magically made in the USA. Now it's yeah. just better. Yeah. I like buying made in the USA stuff because I like supporting jobs in the USA. That's a personal bias, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't have to do with like the intrinsic value of the product being made in the USA. Um, so I think that is something that I hear a lot of is like, oh, it's you know, great quality because it's made in the USA. Well, yeah, maybe. Can now, I? Can yeah, I sure. speak to Jump this? In. I've said this. I've said this on some other podcasts, but this comes up a lot specifically with respect to ski manufacturing. Okay, where we'll see a comment come on and be like, "I don't like that company. They make their skis in fill in the blank of the country, right?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Man, there sure feels like there's some potential racism." happening in xenophobia xenophobia like yeah. yeah and one of the things i say in, in a different element is you know you see the you know kind of the shop local thing mm-hmm. and i'm like mm. so one i'm anti-xenophobia seems to be good to not be xenophobic mm-hmm. but on the other hand the whole like hey man shop local and i'm a little bit like well how about i shop great local I don't want you to get like, I'm going to be mediocre now and then just fall back on shop local. Like, how about you be great at what you do? Right. And I feel like you are saying a bit of that in that statement. Like, let's keep a high bar, folks. And then like shopping great local. Absolutely. Let's let's be all for that. Support the companies that are local and, you know. It is a way to help a community, but like, let's keep a high bar and not sort of guilt people into. So anyway, those are, those, yeah, those are yeah. my takes well, on these. Well, I, 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 well, Hey, we're in a podcast, so I get to like unload all these yes. years of, of social media interaction because I think with the made in USA made local, there's a lot of political baggage that mm-hmm. people bring to it. Right. So I have had people. Uh, respond like, okay, wh- 
made in the USA, xenophobic because you like to manufacture in the USA, something like that, yeah. right? Uh, which is not right uh, in that sense. But then you also have, and I'll get to that in a second, I guess. And then you have this other side of like shop local, right? And we're going to shop local and you should shop local to support local business and local jobs and uh that's that's just drawing a smaller circle and is the same argument for the made in the USA. Yeah. Uh, and the shop local crowd doesn't always agree with the buy USA crowd, <laughs> right? But uh, to your point, the fundamental product, right? The value proposition of the business has to be rock solid. Otherwise, it's just a slogan, and mm-hmm. it's a you know it's a it's a piece of propaganda out there. Mm-hmm. I think of the 1980s auto industry, right? Mm-hmm. Buy American, yeah. right? Keep the jobs going. Well, they're making crappier cars yeah. than Toyota. Toyota makes a bunch of great cars. All of a sudden, you know, Toyota booms in the market, right? And, and uh, you know, the U.S. auto industry had to reshape itself to be competitive again. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you cannot fall back on buy USA. Right. I mean, we put out a lot of made in the USA stuff because mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to be putting out a great product at a great price yeah. for the product, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's always been the primary focus for us. And same thing with the, you know, buying Chicago for the people that live in Chicago, right? It's like, all right, I get to buy local. That's great. Yeah. Cool. That's great as long as the product is good. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, right. And that's what, and that's what we want it to be. Because I'm sure you've gone to a restaurant and it's like a, you know, a $20 local green salad. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, ah. Yeah. You know, it's not a great, it's, it's just not a great value. I'm never going to order that again because it's okay. Like, I, yeah, I get it. Like, I want to I shop local, but like, you're making it hard here. Mm-hmm. Right? So, we have, I've, or at least I've always thought of the uh, buying the USA uh, shop local as kind of the, Let's call it the feather in the cap of the general process as a whole, which is making really great products that hold up well, are comfortable, they fit well, good customer service at a great price that is competing with other, you know, other jeans in the market, right? We're not asking for 200 bucks a pair. Yeah. You know, we're 75 bucks for our, our best seller to date is the tailored fit dark wash, which is the first product that we released 75 bucks. Not bad. <laughs> It's not bad. I'm I'm actually wearing a pair right mm-hmm. now, and I checked the my order confirmation number. It was or date. It was August twenty first, twenty twenty. I had just heard about Dearborn denim. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how I first heard about Dearborn denim, but I was curious enough, and frankly, I couldn't believe the prices. And we're going to talk about yeah. pricing. Well, I'd love to talk about pricing because I was like, wait, made in Chicago at now seventy five dollars. Right, I think at the time at that 65. time it would have been sixty sixty five. Twenty twenty, we were at sixty five. I would have thought we were at sixty nine at that time. We, I can literally pull up but, my email but confirmation but order. If we were I'll at, show but if we were you. Sixty five. I mean, that's that's right in the ballpark for sure. Yeah. Of yeah, we we did have to raise prices uh, a little bit from twenty twenty to to now. But I'm like, that is crazy. And fun fact story: mm-hmm. I fly into O'Hare the other day. My checked bag, because I have to bring all this audio equipment with me, my checked bag didn't make the plane. 
And so I'm having, I'm meeting some friends that, you know, shout out to Matthew and Jamie, great friends of mine. But when we go to dinner, we're going somewhere nice. This I know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm in a pair of shorts and actually this shirt, the jeans I now have on is what I was like, um, that'll be what I'm wearing tonight. I don't have them. And so I was like, I got to go buy a pair of pants. And I was like, but I have like stuff I really like in my bag. I went with my friend Steve to, I think we ended up at a Nordstrom that was kind of on the way and we had places we needed to be. We didn't have a big window and I could not bring myself to buy something mm-hmm. like the jeans that were being sold in Nordstrom. And, you know, he's like, get these. I like these. And they were, the price tag was 215 bucks. Yeah. And just looking around at some of the different options. And so I did not buy anything. I showed up at, it's called Juno. It's a kind of called yeah. like the best sushi place in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I was like, there's a 50% chance they don't let me in the door because I was in shorts and flip-flops. Uh-huh. They did let me in. We had a wonderful dinner, but I just was like, I can't really do this. Like, yeah. I just, so anyway, I'm really glad I got my stuff. I feel like I'm looking great today, you know? In, Absolutely. Uh, in my stuff. Anyway, sorry for that aside, but that that is, um, we will be talking about price here. But I, when I first learned of you guys, I did wonder like and maybe this is the part where we just move into price like literally the jeans at nordstrom's were 215 dollars. i feel like you could raise your prices we you have, have mentioned a little bit a little, a bit. little bit yeah but for i think people understand and and people who would be attracted to like wow you know rob and dearborn denim they're making stuff like we are sitting in a freaking factory right now if people are hearing background noise this is not some hipster showroom like this is a manufacturing plant facility yeah um talk a bit about why with respect to so many jeans out there on the market you said you're not the cheapest but i i i would suspect that for your customer base these are not prices where they're like well i was going to purchase some Dearborn and denim, but yeah. I'm going to instead go to, I mean, finish the sentence for me or you take it from here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the pricing again, just goes back to what I think we're trying to do, which is create a competitive apparel manufacturer for the domestic supply of jeans, right? So the average, the average price of a pair of jeans sold in the United States, I believe is like 45 bucks. Is that it's right? It's like 45, maybe it's 49, you know? So and again, it's like, okay, well, we could lean into, could lean into support, you know, premium jeans made in the USA, 200 bucks, mm-hmm. 300 bucks. Yeah. Could do that. Yeah. I think there are, there are plenty of places already doing that. They make fine product. Um, but I don't think the value is there. I don't think that we want to lean into higher prices for like perceived value of made in the USA. I think we want to, or I've always thought we want to build a big apparel manufacturer in Chicago, right? So, like, that means as aggressive as a price point as we can do. And in fact, I mean, we've we've tried some products with very low price points that were a little too low. Hmm. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to that a little bit later. Yeah. But the the yeah the the aggressive price points are to access as large a customer base as possible and to provide 
a great value. I don't think we're the cheapest value or the cheapest jeans on the internet. I know that we're not. Yeah. I do think we're probably the best value. Interesting. I definitely think we're the bad. Uh, yeah. I can't, I cannot think of another product that is close, you know, but there are a bunch of other products you can buy, you yeah. know? So it's a competitive space. Uh, but yeah, for, for what we are putting out. Yeah. We want to be just the product where a customer gets it. And they are just happy through and through with that pair of jeans. You know, and we're talking about jeans here, right? Nothing, yeah. nothing crazy. We're talking about jeans. So we just want to make sure that, you know, it's like, man, I really like these jeans. I'm not really going to go try these other jeans, right? Because I like mine. Yep. Yeah, great value. So uh, we have, I mean, just a, <laughs> a really strong, loyal customer base uh, because of that, I think. When it, and I think that boils down to just that it's, it's a great product. At a good price, mm-hmm. and you know, made in the USA on top, right? Great, yeah. So yeah. I think that's I think that's why we have folks that just keep coming back. I mean, we have we've been around for seven years, but we have customers that have placed twenty orders with us, you know, or more. So, yeah. and a lot, most of our customers end up placing multiple orders, yeah. Which is I don't I don't have the information on that, but I don't think that's common, and I think that I think that's you know. By and large, people like a product. Mm-hmm. Not everybody likes a product, but I think a lot of people. Well, you, I mean, but speak to. You can't make everybody happy. Yeah, you can't make everybody happy. And I mean, man, fit, 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 fit is going to be so important to every single individual in terms of figuring out if they love this pair of jeans or just kind of like it or maybe mm-hmm. they hate it. And can we speak to that? I mean, I think that that would probably be maybe my number one reason why I would never start a jeans company is because I don't know how you solve for that. How you solve for fit. It's awful. It seems like that would be awful. <laughs> it's awful. Cause it also changed like per person. It changes over time. Yeah. Right. You put on weight, you lose weight. Yeah. Night fit changes. And you know, there's that story of like Jeff Bezos starting Amazon. And then coming up with a list of all the products to sell online, he's you know thought books was the was the number one product. I'm pretty sure that jeans was at the bottom of that list because because of this yeah. question of fit. So we've addressed that by you know having even and odd sizing, and then we also have a variety of cuts that are going to fit differently. You know, for any waist size, right? What the hip measurement is, what the thigh measurement is. These are all important to a, to fit right. And some people want a slim. Some people want a relaxed fit. Most popular is the tailored fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a real problem. So having uh, even an odd sizing really helps with people getting the right fit, right? So we're able to turn a lot of what would be returns into exchanges just by having that uh-huh. sizing. It's like, oh, I'm a little too stunk. Okay, we'll go size out. Oh, these are perfect. Right. Yeah. So that works. And then just operationally, we also hem everything to length so that we, we make everything full length and then the orders come in and we hem it to length and that helps us get the right length. Cause that's the other part of a pair of jeans that's easier to solve than the fit around the waist, but it's still just as important because if mm-hmm. it's the wrong length, you're never going to wear it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you want to be spot on with those two. Hmm. So of all the different elements of manufacturing, I mean, there's a lot of different elements. Is fit the trickiest thing or is it some other element? Not anymore. No, fit is not 
the trickiest thing now. I you want to have a good fit, and fit varies from person to person. But we're able to design different styles to cover a variety of fits, and that you know people will want to have that will fit a, a you know variety of body types. The trickiest part for us right now continues to be oddly just advertising and customer interact and customer acquisition. I would say because. Uh, the, just with the digital landscape changing and all that kind of stuff, we were doing a lot of direct to consumer marketing. I mean, that is it. Like we didn't, we have never done any PR, like pay PR pushes for magazines or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, that has been, I would say, the trickiest part for us in terms of growing as a business. Yeah, but getting people the right fit—that's you know—that's like what we do. So, yeah. It's like asking a doctor, you know, what, <laughs> what's the trickiest part of doing a, I don't know, like a hip replacement or something yeah. like that. It's like, well, you know, that's the bread and butter of what, what they do It's you know, it's the business around it that gets tricky. So the hardest thing, the trickiest thing right now is, would we say, I mean, these are kind of two different things, but brand awareness and customer acquisition or you're like i don't care about brand awareness it's just the first customer the hardest thing is let me get that let me get you to place that first order and you're sitting here saying then i probably got you yeah i think that's yeah it's 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 those those two things go hand in hand you can't buy something if you're not aware of yeah. it but then it's also you have to jump over the hurdle of i want to buy you know do i want to buy this thing or not and you have to convince somebody in basically let's say 10 seconds mm-hmm. you know yep And what would you say to a listener who might be thinking like, well, look, man, I'm done all right at life. I can afford the $200 jeans, the $250 jeans. So I just buy those, right? I'm willing to sort of the higher the price point, the better the product type of thing, you know? And I I think there's probably a decent amount of people like that out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And because as you're talking, I wanted to tell this anecdote because I'm like, guys, you know, I'm fortunate enough. If I loved some $200 pair of jeans, I can't afford to own a pair of them, you Mm -hmm. know, like congrats to me. Yeah. And I don't. um, And so I don't want somebody listening to this to be like, okay, that's nice. Like we heard this conversation about a value brand. Like this is what I was going to wear to the Michelin star restaurant last night. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I guess that sounds pretentious, but it's just a fact. I, if people haven't yet checked out the website or seen a pair of these in hand, I, I mean, you kind of, I feel like ran away from the word premium. And I think you were talking specifically about premium pricing, but I think we can call these a premium product. Yes. Okay. You can. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the, this is this is a tricky part about the message too, right? Because the pricing does not necessarily match the value of what goes into them, right? So in terms of the fabrics that we use, they're all top of the line, just premium denims. I mean, really great stuff. And they go into that. We would use the exact same fabric if we were to say, hey, here's this new premium line that's 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking of another anecdote. I think it's from like the fella who started Red Bull and he was asked why they're charging more. 
And it's like, well, you got to let people know that's a premium product, right? So just jack the price up. Right. So, right. Because that price is really one of the things that, or I guess it would be like one of the characteristics of a product that uh, tells people this is nice or this is not nice, especially in apparel. Yeah. We did not go after the premium price point. And we did not go after the premium price point because we wanted to be not necessarily inclusive, but accessible again. Mm-hmm. And a great way to have quality product and afford, or I guess combining the premium characteristics of the product with a, you know, modest price point is how you generate value. Right. Like I, I can't, I guess I can't give you a good answer as to why we don't charge more other than that. I, <laughs> I know. you know, maybe I should, I was know, like, I was honest, prices. Here well, we come. I mean, if not doubling, honestly, I was like, I'm going to walk in and be like, Rob, I, I have a business idea. Um, raise your prices. Yeah. But then when you're also talking about, as you said, uh, a bit ago, you claimed, and I want to talk about this. You're like, we want to be a big Yes. Manufacturer in Chicago. And so you need scale. Right. You need scale. Right. And and that's that's always a fascinating conversation on these crafted programs. It's it's a question I ask whether we're talking to a winemaker or a beer maker, right. uh, you know, or a jeans now maker. How do you think about growth? How do you think about scale? And it sounds like you're like, no, we want growth and scale for sure. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And there are a couple of ways that we are pursuing additional growth and scale. So the first avenue that we are currently pursuing is wholesale, right? So we're trying to track down retailers that want to start carrying Dearborn down, right? That's a way to increase our volume. Mm-hmm. Another way to increase our volume is to, is to, again, start attacking a lower price point you're going to sell a lot more jeans at a lower price point. So it has to be a different product. And then the problem with that, which is what we found, because we tried this in 2021 with the SVR gene. The mm-hmm. SVR gene was a $39 yeah. gene. And the problem with that was the customer acquisition costs for digital advertising were too high. Yeah. So even So even though we were selling them well, like we were selling a lot of those, um, we were not able to acquire customers efficiently enough to continue to grow. Cause we're not, we're not a VC back company. This is, you know, what you see is what you get. Hmm. So family owned, I guess is another way to put it, small business <laughs> and growing, growing the lower price point gene through how we had grown Dearborn denim, which was direct to consumer advertising wasn't viable. So we had we do have to come up with a different model on how to get out, you know, a lower price point because again that's how I think you can do the same thing, different product. So now you'd be talking about you know more of a regular pair of jeans at a lower price point and trying to do that at scale. That's another way to to kind of go about this question of how do you go from a mid-sized manufacturer, right? We have about uh, forty employees currently uh, to let's say four hundred, right? You have to be, you have to be making a, a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's one of the ways to get there. But I'm wrong half the time. So 
100% of the time, you're wrong half the time. <laughs> okay, you've planted a couple numbers in my head. Yeah. Do you, you threw out 400, currently 40 employees. Yeah. If you were at 400 employees, is that actually how you think about the future? Whether that's yeah. five years from now, 10 years from now, can you, do you mind? Are you willing to talk a little bit about time horizons sure. and what, what would it mean? Like what kind of production would you need to have to have and support 400 employees? Are, are some of the, were these numbers you just sort of threw out or are these actually some numbers you are up late at night thinking about? No, late, up late at night thinking about, but uh, so if we put together a, let's just say 25 sewing operators that now sewing operators is not the only thing that goes on here. Right. But the sewing floor is kind of determining what your output is. Yeah. Right. 25 sewing operators is going to put out something like 500 pairs of jeans a day. So per shift. Right. Per so, shift. right. So you went to four of those wow. on three shifts. That's 300, you know, that's 300 sewing operators. And then staff around that probably gets you up to about 400. So that would be, yeah, 6,000 a day, something like that. 6,000 pairs of jeans a day. Yeah. So you have Damn. to, so you'd have, so if you wanted yeah. to support something like that, you'd have yeah. to be running about 6,000 pairs of jeans a day. You're not going to do that all just through a little website. Yeah. So you have to, you have to partner. Yeah. Uh, but that's totally possible. So there are 350 million pairs of jeans in the United States sold every year. So sorry. Let's 300, stay on this. 350 million, million pairs of jeans. Yeah. Yeah. They're still very popular. Turns out, uh, turns still, out people still, still like, like jeans. jeans. Yeah, and Three, probably wow. going to continue. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I settled on jeans as opposed to say like jean or jackets. Mm -hmm. Right. We're about to actually. By the time this comes out, I'm sure our jean jacket will be out. But rather than like winter Make that coats, the base. Yeah, yeah, it's like people have been wearing jeans. Yeah. People are going to continue to wear jeans. Yeah. You know, maybe they're you know that will add and flow to some degree. But the gene is going to be around 20 years from now. So if you're going to build a, a manufacturing facility, make something that's going to be around because it's going to take some time to yeah. set it up and get it up and running. Yeah. So that's why that's why we settled on that, on uh, on genes. But yeah, yeah, you figure 250 uh, production days a year. You know, you're scratching the surface of the gene market, the domestic gene market. Huh. So okay. it would be pretty cool to do that. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. Trying to, I'm trying to work towards that at. Yeah. If yeah. I let you get off this conversation, <laughs> you would go back to doing that? That's yeah, I'm trying it, to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's, but it's tricky because it's a question of, well, do you partner with retailers, right? Or do you partner or like, you know, do you accept whatever level of customer acquisition you can do online? For the sake of growth. Right, yeah. right, right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, these are all, these are all tricky questions. So, um, but we're trying, we're, we're, we're actually right now, we're, yeah, we're pushing in, in all directions. We hit a speed bump in 2020. So the co the whole COVID thing, you know, we, we had four stores, we had to close three, mm -hmm. uh, lockdowns were not good for us. Yeah. Uh, and that really had us pivot quite a bit. And so that really gave us some speed bumps in 2020, 2021, 2022, we finally moved into our new factory. Mm -hmm. And, but I, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be pushing on the gas pretty hard to try and keep growing and spread the word about Dearborn Denim. 
yeah going forward do you think you'll look to reopen some of those retail stores i do yeah i do but i think that's that's at least a year or two years out yeah before we start working on expanding the retail footprint i made some mistakes with with opening a couple stores because we had one our first store was in hyde park yeah and that was a great store yeah and then we opened our second store soon after in andersonville and that turned out to be a really good store and then i tried opening two more one in lincoln park and one in printer's row and those did not work out very well because the idea behind them was that we were going to open up a local jean store that you could just pop on down and buy your jeans that was a bad idea that was a bad idea because people usually go to soft good let's say nexus uh-huh. right places where there are a couple of shops uh-huh. around and they go shopping around and that's how you find out uh-huh. about a company and you go buy stuff you pop in yeah. right kind of like a mall yeah. right malls other you know shopping streets yeah that kind of thing so standalone jean stores were not driving enough traffic and i i have i i won't know because you know the whole experiment was thrown off because of code but i have a feeling that they wouldn't have lasted very long even if that had huh. happened because they weren't in hubs yeah they hubs. were just kind of like, yeah. like one off yeah like next to your you know ice cream store mm-hmm. <laughs> ice cream and jeans everybody everybody's like man let's yeah. go buy some ice cream and jeans yeah today. the old the old adage of like location 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 is very important for brick and mortar yeah and uh yeah i ignored that so I don't want to keep you too much longer. I mean, I do, um, because this is really interesting. But one of the things I like to do on these crafted podcasts is find a particular area to pull the curtain back a little bit for some of our listeners. And I think we've done that in a pretty significant way when it comes to, you know, the trick of domestic manufacturing. I think that's been fantastic. Let's talk a little bit more about materials and fabrics like i would hazard that for the typical listener of this podcast jeans purchaser we don't know that much about you know if you walk into a store and you see all these different types of jeans okay this one is a 10.5 weight this one is a 12 weight this one has a little bit of stretch, yada, yada. What could you tell us that would sort of illuminate anything we should be looking for? Or is there a secret where like, it's actually kind of all the same, or there's only two or three even varieties when it comes to the fabric fit we kind of addressed? Maybe different brands have their own preferred fit and how they think about that. But on the material point of view, what would you tell us? What should we know? The information that is going to be accessible to the customer for material, the biggest thing I would say is stay away from rayon and rayon-like fibers. The reason why, especially for stretch denims. So rayon, it's like a wood pulp, right? Turn it into uh, a thread, right? Take those fiber staples, turn them into a thread. Very nice, soft hand. Mm -hmm. Great. Problem is that it has a uh, very low elastic retention property, so it stretches and then it stays stretched out. Cotton, when you wash it, right, you know your jeans shrink down. They, I don't, I still don't actually quite understand how that works. 
but they shrink back down. They all, cotton doesn't really stretch out, but it also shrinks back down. And then uh, your spandex, of course, has very high elastic retention, and then polyester does as well. Or it doesn't have the doesn't have the stretch, doesn't stretch out easily. Uh, the problem with the rayon is that it'll stretch out. All these other fibers are now working towards coming back to retain their shape when you wash them, and the rayon will not. And so then you start getting all these waves and all of that once you wash it once or twice. Huh. And so you are not going to get a nice durability out of that product. You're going to pick it up and be like, wow, this feels really soft. And then you're going to wear it a few times and then it's going to start looking saggy in the knees and in the butt. Huh. Okay. So that's like in terms of, you know, just like things to take, look for. Yeah, yeah. Take it, take it home. Like, yeah, I would stay away from rayon based products. Okay. For jeans, is, for jeans. You can, I mean, it's good. For, it's fine for shirts and that kind of thing. And there, there are some different names for it, but it's all more or less the same stuff. What are some names for it? Like, a, I believe it's, Model is another one. Model. Uh, and then I think there are some trademark names as well. But Okay. You know. Okay. So check. Yeah, just, you know, if it's if it's not cotton, polyester, spandex, elastane, you know, it you know, just pull out your phone and check if it's a rayon type product. Okay. And if it's a rayon type product, then you know. Maybe fine. Maybe not. Maybe maybe not dearborn then denim. Double think like the ooh, this is a super soft hand. Because yeah. it may not stay that way for you yeah yeah any other any other sort of tips like things that you look for and are like nice or things you see and you're like nope so the things that we look for in denim are a little bit different because we're looking for like tensile strengths and picks per inch and you know what the what the wear patterns are as if it's a crosshatch or a you know has a little bit more vertical characteristic some of those things you can see as a customer but a lot of that right the tensile strength, for example, you, there's no way for you to know whether or not this this yarn has a good tensile strength or not. Uh, I think part of that you could say check out whether or not the the warp yarns are ring spun or if they are air entangled. So most most denim is is sewn with air entangled yarns, which is you take a tube, you blow through some cotton staples through it, then they kind of like mash together into a yarn. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to make. That became the dominant yarn process. In like the 80s uh away from ring spun which is stronger softer and you actually spin it you spin a silver into a yarn that's gonna make just you know if you're just looking at it a yarn's a yarn put it under a microscope it's not the same hmm. it's gonna have a different tensile strength it also wear out faster but again i don't think as a customer you necessarily can see that mm -hmm. or feel that but maybe you can pick up hey this is advertised as a ring spun denim gotcha so i guess that you know those in terms are, yeah. of like actionable information that you can take as a consumer i feel like those are probably the two big ones okay you know because uh, especially for our jeans right so you've had your pair since 2020 yeah I didn't, I didn't ask beforehand but you know how they held up. Dude, I'm literally, you can see, I'm literally, you can look for yourself. Yeah. They're, they're, they have not worn out. No. Right in the knees and the crotch and the seat or anything like that. And that's because it has really nice yarns. Mm -hmm. It has nice yarns, well put together. Mm. It's a nice fabric. It's a premium fabric. It's a premium fabric. <laughs> so. At an affordable price. Right, exactly. But um, yeah, and that's, and that's because of the more technical specs of the fabric it's not 
you know, but it, it's not something that, you know, you can, if you walk into a department store, you can say, okay, well, this one's the, the nice one because X, Y, Z. Yep. You know. What's next? Where are you going next with Dearborn Denim? What are you working on? You have a jacket. We have a jacket coming out. Yeah. So we have a jacket coming out. We're going to continue with our product releases. We are looking to just continue to grow the brand Dearborn Denim. Yeah. Uh, but as a business, we are also expanding into contract work for other brands as well. Right. So in this idea of we want to build a big, big. apparel manufacturer, yep. one of the ways to do that is to also start doing contract work. We're very good at making jeans. So now we're very good at making jeans for other brands as well. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, also looking to move away from our strict direct to consumer model which is only selling to customers through our website and through our stores and starting to put them into other retailers. So those are the, those are the two kind of, I would say big projects, just big strategy projects that we're looking to execute on. Where do people go? Dearborndenim.us. Dearborndenim.us. Um, appreciate what you're up to. And I, I've actually reached out multiple times to you guys. I'm sorry. And so, you know, I'm glad that I have stayed persistent because I keep getting, you know, the email updates and newsletters. And the last one I was like, dude, I'm going to be in Chicago. I really want to make this happen. And so I'm, um, this is, it's a bit of what I do, you know, like part of my job is to be on the lookout at who's doing what and where. And um, yeah, I, when I, bought the jeans over three years ago, I just thought I need to see what's up here. And, you know, I, it's like kind of my job. I'll, I'll be the guinea pig, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I actually really like these. And so it's really cool for me, one, to come back to a place that I'm from and get to see what you've got going here and how you're thinking about all of this. And both in terms of that original mission and in terms of you know, what you're thinking about for the future. It's pretty cool, man. Well, thanks for coming out. And I'm glad that you were persistent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'll let you off the hook. You're, you know, you're a busy guy. You got to, got to create a big apparel manufacturing company right here in Chicago. So, yeah. you know, you can't be answering, you know, every, every request to meet up. Maybe I should be answering more. Than <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll help. Um, I do hope that our folks will, will check out Dearborn. Um, even if you don't have the Chicago tie, because like I said, if frankly, if that order I placed over three years ago, if I was like, oh yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't really there. I mm -hmm. can't really recommend these. We wouldn't be having this conversation back to the like local or made in the USA is nice. It's not sufficient. It's not sufficient for me. And I don't, I don't think I, I don't frankly encourage people to think that way. We already had that conversation, yeah. but, but when it is being made domestically or let alone in your own community or close by, and it's really well done and there's intentionality behind it as you've done a nice job articulating today, I think that really moves the needle for people. And, um, and I look forward to seeing Dearborn Denim keep growing. Well, thank you for coming on, Jonathan. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Rob. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Rob for hosting me at the Dearborn Denim Factory and for this conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. 
And if you enjoyed this conversation, I would certainly encourage you to check out our other crafted conversations and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and that will let us just keep this whole thing going and growing. So thanks in advance for doing that, and we will talk to you again real soon.